One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Villander. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport for one final time from the French Open in Paris, Catherine Whittaker joins me after La Decima was completed. That's not even how you say it, is it, Catherine? Because you got a lesson today I saw on your Facebook Live uh, on Eurosport from a, from a Spanish colleague of yours. How do you say it? La Decima. La Decima. Yes. I see. It was, uh, yeah, it was a cast of thousands on that Facebook Live. And I was very grateful for every single one of them because I was sort of plunged into a bit of a an abyss with sort of just just do this Facebook Live uh, and do a sort of behind-the-scenes tour. So for a long time, it was just me trying to talk through sort of behind-the-scenes and the gallery and the technical room at Eurosport with sort of very little knowledge uh, or coherent explanation uh, of, of <laughs> what I was doing. Uh, but very happily and purely by accident, I might add, I, I managed to bump into... Uh, Ulf from German Eurosport, who's a, a lovely man and was able to give an insight into German Eurosport, and Antonio from Spanish Eurosport, who taught me how to say La Dethema, and then Mats Verlander popped up as well. Uh, so I was very grateful for all of their appearances, and it turned out to be quite a fun um, 20 minutes or so. And then Mary Pierce, as scheduled, uh, appeared at the end and answered a few questions. But yeah, those things are always kind of... Uh, fly by the seat of the pants stuff so a little spanish lesson uh, to, to fill the airways was it's very welcome. handy today hasn't it it's become in real ha- really come in handy today because that's what rafael nadal has achieved today with a straight sets very comfortable in the end on paper uh win over stan vavrinka very different gotta say it to what we thought 24 hours ago when we were speaking Stunning performance from him. Well, you're being very generous there, David, because it was uh, in particular very different to what I uh, predicted 24 hours ago. Or perhaps not predicted, but what I felt would likely be the case 24 hours ago. I, I have to say, I really, ha- hands up, did not see what happened today coming. And I, it's sort of, a in terms of my analysis of it, I feel a bit chicken and egg about it all. I don't know where the Nadal brilliance and dominance and brutishness ends and the Vavrinka um, disconsolate, disconsolation, disconsolateness, the Vavrinka dejection begins, if that makes sense. Did he walk on the court dejected and blank and, and a bit low on steam? Or was he just not allowed to gather any steam because of Nadal? I don't know. It, it, it Without question, both factors are relevant. I just don't know whether it's 50-50 or 90-10 or 10-90. I, I don't really know. It's one of those things where, where 
matches seem really one-sided and and it could be very easy to look at today and say just Vavrinka was dreadful, you know, wasn't dialed in, really wasn't hitting the forehand with any consistency, didn't serve well. And But how much is that down to how brilliantly Nadal was playing and how much he felt like he had to go for 10% more than he usually does on the forehand and had to fit felt under pressure to get cheap points on serve so it was going for a bit too much and you just don't know it's it's all sorts of gray areas where one thing ends and the other things begin the other thing begins and all we know really for sure is that Nadal was brilliant and unbeatable and is incredible he's won 10 of these things it, it it's it's barely possible to sum up that achievement in words and all sorts of people are saying categorically I guarantee we'll never see this again I'm reluctant to say that because you just don't know as we've talked about so much on the podcast before you know we're we're very in the moment in tennis and I'm sure in wider sport you know in the moment it feels like this is it you know this this is the biggest thing there will never be anything like it again just because it's so present and it's so vivid in that moment. I think it's unlikely that we'll ever see this again. I really do. I, I just can't say categorically that we won't because, you know, when Sampras was dominating, we thought we never thought within <laughs> within a decade we'd have somebody trouncing his um, Grand Slam record, and you know, it it just. You just never know, but I think it is unlikely that in our lifetimes, David, we will ever see uh, this record being matched. It's extraordinary. Uh, and, and Sampras's record was trounced twice by two different players. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it is one of those things. Um, I feel about Nadal that, that it's not always as obvious when he's playing at the top of his game to where he's playing, say, 80%. I think it was very obvious two years ago when he, that he was way, way down on his normal level, you know, when, they, when he was dropping that forehand short. But I think one can sometimes take Nadal's level for granted because he's so relentless, because he's always dialed in, because he doesn't have these mental letdowns that other players do and, and doesn't lack for motivation or, or inspiration. He's always up for it. But I do feel in this final you could see the level. You could feel the level that he was playing at. You, it, it was like that final against Federer in 2008. He just, he was not going to give anybody a chance. I do feel that that is as close to an unbeatable level as you could ever get. It was up there with Federer against Murray in the, the 2015 Wimbledon semi. It was up there with Djokovic a year later, when he was beating people 6-1, you know, like Nadal and Federer and Murray. It was like that, and it was, it was frankly, a, a privilege to watch it. That was Nadal rolling back the years. I still can't quite believe we're, we're able to say that, that Nadal has done this, because he looked so down a couple of years ago, so bereft of any confidence and self-belief. And, uh, yeah, it's one of the all-time great achievements. Um, Andy Roddick was was on social media earlier, and and it reminded me of of when his his trainer Doug Spreen had said in two thousand and five, "This guy's going to win eight of these," and we all, you know, everybody laughed. Everybody thought that was hilarious. 
And then Roddix pointed out, you know, he's actually shortchanged him, as it turned out. I mean, mind-boggling. Will it ever happen again? I, I, I'm, I'm very reluctant to talk about in those terms because, yeah, just just 20 years ago, nobody had done what Sampras had done, and here they are. There's two of them breaking it. Maybe there'll even be three. But you know, you would you would literally have to have somebody win a French Open or a Wimbledon title in their teens, most likely, in order to get near to ten of them. I mean, he, he's only ever lost two matches in Paris, for goodness sake. Yeah, I think that's the aspect of it that makes it most inconceivable. The fact that you're just not going to see teenagers winning Grand Slams as tennis stands at the moment. You know, you've got someone like Zverev, who is now 20, and he's the most precocious talent that we've had for, for some years, really. And he's still not at grand slam winning level and he's as a, he's not even a teenager anymore and Kyrgios as well okay he had a he had a big breakthrough in his teen years but he's what 22 now and not or 21 22 uh, and and you know still not really anywhere close to winning a grand slam not to say that he doesn't very much have the potential in him but potential is very much a different thing so I agree with you I think that is the facet of it that makes it seem most unachievable that basically to win 10 unless you're starting in your teens you're you're basically uh either going to be have to winning them into your mid 30s which okay Federer is making look uh not but I mean yeah unless you're an absolutely an absolute superhuman Although, you know, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, they are superhumans, aren't they? I mean, it's, yeah, they're superhuman. It, it's um, it's very, very difficult to, to sum up what's been achieved. I, I think it was very, um, very well done what the French Federation did with the unravelling of the, the, what would you call them? Not flags, sort of drape uh, type Things on the top level of the Philippe Chatre court saying bravo Rafa um, that was a really nice touch um, I was courtside for the presentation and everything and, and I suddenly realised it's something you don't see when you watch it on um, on British TV or I think probably American TV but I think the French Open is the only slam where the losing finalist has to stay on court after the trophy presentation has to do TV interviews, quite a number of them, on the court, usually after they've sort of done their duty by participating in the ceremony, lifting their silver salver or whatever it is, doing their uh, doing their dejection speech. They're allowed to exit stage right and, and hang their head in the locker room. But poor Stan Wawrinka, I... I I felt for him dearly today, just as I did for Simona Halep yesterday. He had to stay on the court and do several TV interviews. And then he still signed countless autographs as he was departing the court. And I, you know, he's not been in that situation before. He's never, not not just that he's never lost a Grand Slam final before, that's obviously something big but he's never not been able to produce his best on the big stage before that's that's the biggest thing for him this is a new feeling for him not producing when it matters most he is the big time charlie isn't he stanford Vrinker? he's the guy that 
can't produce it at the Master Series, but who cares because he produces it when it really matters. And he didn't today. And yes, I think that was largely down to Nadal brilliance, but not entirely. You know, even when he was... It seemed to me that that fourth game really sapped some of his energy and belief because he had to fight and play so hard in order to just get to two games all. Yeah, but and, he's and a Nadal colossus. was Usu- not even breathing heavily. Yeah, but he's a colossus. I Usually, I, I wouldn't have expected that to trouble him. I, but look, I've obviously been proven to be naive. I thought he was, he was so physically strong and such a sort of exceptional specimen physically that I didn't really think that that four-hour, 30-minute match against Murray would have too much of an impact on him today, certainly not the impact that it would have had on Murray had he come through uh, and had to play in the final today. But I, I, I've been proven wrong. I, I've definitely been proven I, I wrong. Whether, whether it was that, how much of it was factor, physi- how much of it was him having been physically sapped versus mentally sapped, I don't know. But he definitely didn't have the fight. When he lost that first set 6-2, I was still thinking, oh, you know, that was... <laughs> That sort of means nothing. You know, Vavrinka, he lost the first set in the French Open 2015 final. He lost the first set in the US Open final last year. That just means Vavrinka's got his opponent right where he wants him. And then suddenly it kept on unravelling. And and it still wasn't until he lost the second set, really, that I suddenly realised, oh, this is a whitewash rather than a the story of Vavrinka... Um, uh, gradually finding his inner fight and his inner re- resurgence or whatever you want to call it. Um, the thing it just is, wasn't the there thing today, is, I, it wasn't I, there. I, I, I would say that Nadal, that is the first time he's faced Nadal like that for about five, four or five years, personally, in terms of that that relentlessness and and I think it was a combination you know if you've got four and a half hours of playing your legs versus somebody who's who's had a couple of hours and and has not even dropped a set worse than six or or won a set with with conceding more than four games that he only that that that's the maximum anybody got against Nadal who was so fresh so ready for it that I think the physicality did come into it but Nadal's level I think just just shocked Vavrinka, I think he thought, "Oh my goodness, you know, I don't, I don't quite know what to do against this. I'm not, I'm not playing well enough right now. I'm not hurting him." This is the other thing: is team threw those mighty blows in his direction. They're just, he was just shrugging them off. It was, it was like he was laughing at it. And at the start, there was, there was that one moment at the the coin toss where they both sprinted back to the baseline, and I thought, you know, good on you, Stan. You, you're standing up to him here, and it was like these two Marvel characters just about to clash in midair, and then you suddenly realise Nadal is just on a different planet to this guy. Uh, uh, when he was when he's playing like that, he would not be denied. It was fantastic. What was the atmosphere like, Catherine? Because you would have been courtside throughout the build-up and so forth. Was was it? I mean, I imagine that's the first time you've you've been in that role, certainly for Eurosport, isn't it? In Paris, what? How does it compare to say similar situation in New York? The atmosphere in the build-up was sensational. In the first set, was sensational, and in and in the moment of victory, was was glorious. The appreciation of Nadal and what he it achieved was glorious and fitting and wonderful. And also, I, I think the ovation 
for Stan Wawrinka was the warmth of it really reflected how much the crowd realised it wasn't it just wasn't about Stan Wawrinka today there was no no sort of recriminations about him not bringing his best it was just Dude, it wasn't about you today. It was about Rafael Nadal being brilliant. I have to say, I doesn't matter who I'm supporting and how how much I might be supporting them. And in all honesty, I wasn't really supporting anyone today. I didn't really have a preference. You know, I sort of stan. I adore watching as much as anybody on the tour. I, I in terms of style of play that I personally enjoy, Stan is right at the top for me. That one-handed backhand, I could watch it unleashed. I could watch a high-mo of that, which is the, the super slow-mo. I could watch that all day long. But I also wanted Vavrinka, I wanted Nadal to achieve that amazing feat. I wanted to witness the history. I wanted Nadal to achieve that history. So I didn't have the preference. But even if I even if I had done more than anything in a Grand Slam final or indeed pretty much in any tennis match, I just want a contest. That's what I want from anything, anything in sport. I want a contest and a battle. I'm I'm like the fickle French crowd. I find myself always rooting for the underdog, always rooting for the person uh, that's two sets to one down so that it gets taken into a fifth set. And And for that reason, for me, I felt the atmosphere... And this could just be my interpretation of it. I felt it a bit damp um, at the end of the second set and throughout the third. But as I say, as soon as the feat was achieved, the atmosphere was marvellous and and quite rightly so. It's just, in terms of the contest, it just wasn't there. And some people can enjoy watching their favourite player or just brilliance you know that can be as enjoyable as watching a battle just watching brilliance in full flow I know that's how my brother feels about watching Roger Federer he could watch Federer beat someone love love and love and that be the most enjoyable tennis watching experience imaginable imaginable and I can appreciate that and enjoy it to an extent but I will always prefer to watch a battle because that for me is all, all the joy of sport, um, yeah, it's all that that is the very best of what sport has to offer. So, for me, it was a it was a bit dampened once you once once it sort of started to dawn on everyone that the the Vavrinka challenge just wasn't there. The atmosphere did did go a bit, but as I say, it, it, in the moment of victory and an appreciation of what was achieved, it was fully there. Indeed. Now, uh, moving on, they go to the grass. Both Stan Wawrinka and Rafael Nadal will be at Queen's as part of the Aegon Championships field, which starts a week tomorrow. Andy Murray will be in that field too, as will Grigor Dimitrov and Nick Kyrgios and Juan Martin Del Potro. Loads of players. There are some tickets left for the first couple of days if you're interested. Now, the, the, the thing that really interests me about the Nadal run is that he's dropped fewer games in this run to the title than he ever has and the fewest or the closest to it was in 2008 when he lost 41 games he only lost 35 games on his way to the title here in 2008 he then went on to complete the treble by winning Queens and by winning Wimbledon straight after did Rafael Nadal what about his chances now on grass Um, he's had a terrible time recently but this time he goes in fresh that could be a big factor, couldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. He is right up there as one of 
the strongest favourites. Uh, maybe the Joint, no, he's not the favourite for Wimbledon. Joint second favourite with Andy. I think Federer is the favourite for Wimbledon. I do. I still think that. Um, I'd put him as the joint second favourite with Andy Murray. Interesting, by the way, that today, um, about an hour and a half, two hours before the final started, it was announced on the tennis channel, I think, that Paul Anacone will be joining the Stanford Rinker team as a grass court consultant uh, for the grass court season this year. Another sign, I think, that well, definitely of how intent he is on winning Wimbledon and completing a career Grand Slam and why, if you've got any one of them missing from your trophy cabinet, you know, as evidenced by Nadal and his quest uh, for the French Open last year, why wouldn't that be your ultimate goal? So more signs of how intent he is on winning Wimbledon. I still don't see him as one of the top three favourites. I think that would be... Federer, yeah, Murray and Murray and Nadal, Djokovic a little bit behind that. Vavrinka in in the next crop of favourites. Hold on a minute. What, what about what about Djokovic? Is the guy who's won three of the last what six seven years uh, titles? Well, what about Djokovic? Is the the guy that lost lost the final set six love to Dominic Team and looked completely bereft? I mean, yeah, of course he could win it. As I've said, I think he's in the the top. Well, what did I say? For top four favourites, he's just not my favourite. He, mm. he look, no, I, look, I, I, I personally think he he needs a, a total reboot, really, in order to, to. I don't think he can just come out now and win Wimbledon. He may prove me wrong, and and look, if he does, fair play. But I can't see it personally. Um, quite quite interesting to. I've, I've I've run a pole vault on this question mark. Who's going to win Wimbledon from here? Uh, so um, we've got um, uh, yeah I know you'd be delighted uh, we've had a 642 votes so far uh, the the choices I've given are Nadal, Federer, Murray and someone else much to the disgust of a number of uh, supporters of Djokovic who are pointing out to me just how many times he's won the uh, title in the last seven years fair enough you're, you're, you're right to your opinion uh, but I personally think that as you mentioned that he is behind the other three in terms of uh, likelihood of actually doing it this year, hence, uh, given we only have four options, well, uh, he is they included can vote in the fourth for someone category. Else. Yeah, well, exactly right. Their point would be he shouldn't be in the someone else yeah, category. Yeah, well, Kyrgios fans else would say the same. Vavrinka well, no, fans would say Kyrgios. the same. You can't compare Kyrgios and Vavrinka to, to the three-time champion. What would you mean? I mean, Sampras is a seven-time champion. He's not in the poll either. Yeah, he's retired, Catherine. Yeah, I know. I'm aware of that. Thank you, David. I think everyone is aware of the point I'm trying to make. Carry on. Okay. Before my grumpiness gets out of hand. Okay, right. Well, anyway, I mean, I, I think it, it's it's quite an interesting talking point. At the moment, Federer now, 40% of people think that he is most likely to win. 34% are going for Murray. 18% are going for Nadal. And only 8% are going for someone else. So maybe maybe my poll is right. Maybe I've chosen the right people, given that number. But, um, I mean, the fact that anybody's going for Nadal, given that he's he couldn't hit a barn door at Wimbledon for the, about the last five years, is is quite interesting. But I think I think he can, in this sort of form, fitness and freshness, come out and make a real run at Wimbledon this year. I, I, think, I, th- I think you're about right. I, I'd put him... I'd put him third favourite right now behind uh, behind Murray, 
uh, or rather Federer at the top and Murray second. Yeah, well, yeah, I've, I've said my piece. I, I I agree with you. As I say, maybe joint favourite with Murray, but yeah, certainly not much in it be- between them. Uh, I, I still have Federer at the top. It, it, incredibly, you know, Stuttgart starts tomorrow. Federer will play Wednesday. We're going to see Federer on grass in what, you know, 40 or 50 hours, something like that. We're going to have our first taste of Roger Federer playing on grass. I was chatting to Matthias, a presenter for German Eurosport earlier, who's flying directly into Stuttgart tomorrow morning and is commentating two matches for German Eurosport on Stuttgart tomorrow. You know, the season, particularly this portion of the season, is utterly relentless. You know, in a matter of hours, the clay will quite literally have been dusted off and completely forgotten and replaced by the glistening sight of green, green grass. It's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a funny old thing, the tennis season. It sure is. It sure is. So we'll be off to the grass court season. In fact, it starts, of course, in Stuttgart and Satogan Bosch. I've already heard uh, Roger Federer talking in his pre-event press conference all about Rafael Nadal, I should add, uh, over the last um, uh, few hours uh, before the final. He was talking about what a great player Nadal is and so forth. So, yeah, he's about to start his, uh, his grass court play and then we'll be at Queen's in a week's time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So I tell you, somebody who won't be uh, uh, there is going to be Maria Sharapova. 
uh, which is which is quite interesting, isn't it? She's uh, she's withdrawn now after all that kerfuffle about wild cards or not wild cards. She's injured. That injury she sustained in Rome uh, has not healed, and so Sharapova has withdrawn from the Wimbledon qualifying. And uh, yeah, we won't be seeing her until. Until the summer, at which point she's again going to need a wild card if she wants to get into the US Open. Yeah, I find this one really strange. Look, all we have to go off is her statement. I, I don't know. I don't. I'm not privy to any particular extra backstage knowledge on this. What was the injury she sustained in Rome? Was it I stomach? She, I can't was remember what the exact injury was. I think yeah, it was I remember having some taping and stuff. Yeah, I think it was something sort of to her torso or back, something like that. It has to be bad for her to be withdrawing this far out, for her to not be saying, "I'm, you know, I'm doubtful for it, but I'll, I'm going to wait and see." I, I, and I've no idea if there's something else going on. I, I can only speculate and i won't do that because it'll get it'll get us into trouble but i find it bizarre i do find it bizarre that she's pulling out from it all this far in advance because why you know it's obviously been this huge goal of hers you know it's been she's had two years to well no what 15 months to think about this and you know has hung everything on it you know put so much on the line and come under so much fire and and yeah, to to not even be giving herself the chance. It's either a it, there's either something else going on, or it's a really really bad injury, which it didn't seem to be at the time. And look, they don't always seem to be. They don't always present themselves as as bad as they are at, at the time. So look, that is entirely possible. But I do. I, I think it must I be do, an injury that she feels means she's not going to be able to compete and actually make but she the doesn't sort of necessarily she know you know unless you've broken your ankle and you're in a cast you don't necessarily i mean look what david goffin did at the french open i couldn't even look at the photos of that it was so gruesome i, I saw one glimpse of it and i my stomach turned and i had to look away and he's saying he's only gonna, gonna be out uh, away from the tennis court for two weeks you know for you to be saying three and a half weeks out that there is zero chance it has to be pretty pretty serious is what i'm saying and it, and it that was an injury she sustained what two weeks ago no three weeks ago so what that's a total of sort of five and a half weeks it would have had to be in a very bad injury and obviously didn't seem that bad at the time she was asking for the Wimbledon wildcard or making the statement to say that she didn't want a Wimbledon wildcard and she'd be playing a qualies. I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to speculate because I've no idea. It just all seems a bit bizarre to me. It certainly was a very unexpected announcement. I, I can imagine that if she if she is short of fitness, even if she kind of could play, I, I, I would imagine that if if she risked not qualifying, that would be a pretty tough pill to swallow. You know, if she felt she might go in there and not play very well because of it. But how does she, she know yet? Think, Actually, I think I'll... How I'll, does she yeah, know? Well, she could have had another week, given herself another yeah, week Yeah, but it's balance of probability, isn't it? Yeah, but she would have nothing uh, would, to lose by giving herself another... You know, she didn't have to withdraw from it all. 
right now, did she? I would she? imagine it's serious then. Well, yeah, that's... The, yeah, we can only conclude that, David. Yeah. So anyway, Sharapova won't be playing. That, uh, that soap opera uh, can be forgotten about for the time being, although it will be interesting to see if the US Open gives her a wild card. I, I, I have no idea, but I mean, they, they basically, I, I had an argument with, uh, or at least a, a difference of opinion with Beth Roth, Ben Rothenberg on social media last night as to whether they face any different situation in making their wildcard decision to that of the French Open and Wimbledon. I would say absolutely no difference whatsoever. Um, it's still the fact that her ranking is not high enough to get in because she had a, a doping suspension. So it's up to the US Open now to decide whether she should be getting a wild card or not. Um, but anyway, uh, we don't know what will happen with that. So it'll be quite interesting to find out. I, I kind of think that they might actually give her a wild card, but maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. Uh, i tell you, somebody else who's uh, got an injury is uh, Dan Evans. He's uh, had to, well... We don't know whether he's going to pull out of anything yet, but he certainly sustained an injury in Surbiton when he was uh, into the quarterfinals there. It sounds like it's a calf problem. He's going to have a scan on Monday, which is a bit of a shame. And, uh, yeah, that's about all I've got to tell you about, Catherine. Your Paris trip is just about done. How's it been? Oh, that makes me very sad, though, you saying it's sort of just about done. It's been glorious. It's been completely exhausting i feel sort of semi comatose at the moment i i this i'm not sure this would be a podcast i'll listen back to because i fear i've made no sense at all um but it has been it's been a joy it's been a yeah it's perfect with the two results it's been a sort of joyous mix of the expected um, the expected result the expected history in the making and the completely unexpected uh, with, of course, Rafael Nadal and Yelena Ostapenko. And, uh, yeah, that's a that's a pretty sweet mix. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure any of them actually listen, but, but I must say a big thank you to the, to the Eurosport team that I've been working with um, throughout the fortnight. They've not only been a fantastic production team to work with, but they've also been brilliantly supportive of the podcast as well. Uh, and it's a really um, happy collaboration that we have and uh, we're very grateful for it and uh, yeah it's really worked and it's been a great pleasure so thank you yeah well well said uh, and the same goes for me and I would also like to say a big thank you to Catherine Whitaker, who <laughs> I don't quite know how despite the fact that she's been working on Eurosport every single day has still managed to find enough time and enough uh, hours of staying awake in order to record this podcast every day so very very well done um, and uh, yeah and thank you all for listening because uh, yeah, you've been listening in your thousands and uh, there's frankly no point in us doing this unless uh, you're listening, apart from when Mary Carrillo's listening, of course, because frankly, if she's listening, we'll just carry on doing it anyway. But Catherine and I will be back with daily podcasts during Wimbledon. There will also be daily podcasts at the Aegon Championships from the Queen's Club. I can't say that I'm likely to be on many of them, but Catherine certainly will be. Uh, she'll be presenting them and also doing those Facebook Lives on the Queen's Facebook page and all that sort of lovely stuff. Can I just also draw your attention to a documentary that's going out on Eurosport 1 on Monday evening, so the 12th of June, tomorrow evening as we record now, 7.30pm in the evening. It's called 
La Decima. And it is all about Rafael Nadal's incredible 10 French Open titles. They've had exclusive behind-the-scenes access to Rafael Nadal in the build-up to this incredible victory of his. So do watch that. Eurosport 1, La Decima, that is coming your way. Catherine, yeah, it's time to go to bed for you. It's time for your flight back home. Uh, anything else to say? Well, no, other than that it's a Eurostar back home. <laughs> I suppose that's neither here nor there. Well, you know, I may as well end on an inaccuracy. (laughs) It's the way I've been going all week long. So there we are. What with my predictions and all. Uh, But anyway, that's about all from us, folks. Uh, Do have a very good week until we are back with you from the luscious grass courts of the Queen's Club. We'll speak to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 